1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those, who, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the reading of the word. This morning, I want us to focus our attention on the importance of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. The importance that Jesus rose from the dead cannot be overstated. And I say that advisedly. You cannot overstate the importance. It's absolutely essential to our faith that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. All that we believe and hold dear in our Christian faith rises or falls on whether or not Jesus Christ actually came forth bodily from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the gospel is given to us in a nutshell, starting at verse 1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, that is to believe in something that was not true. For this is the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which also I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. As we think of the gospel, we place great emphasis, and rightly so, on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for the penalty of our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 states that Christ died for our sins in according with the scriptures. But that's not the whole story. Verse 4 says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is every bit as important as his death on the cross. You cannot make the death of the cross the end of the story. In order... For Jesus to fulfill his mission as the Messiah, as the Redeemer, as the Anointed One, as the Savior, he not only had to die on the cross, but he also had to rise from the dead. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, there is a dialogue that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus asked them the question, who do people say that I am? 
The answer was that some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They believed good things about Jesus, but the people had a lot of discrepancies as to who they believed Jesus really was. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? Simon said, thou art the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world. This Christ, in order to be the Christ, in order to be the Savior, the one who came into the world, not only had to die, but he also had to rise from the dead. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, in response to the disciples, he said, and began to teach them that the Son of Man must, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. All of those things had to take place. They had to happen. The necessity was not that Jesus was helplessly overcome by his adversaries. They didn't have to transpire because of the power of the scribes and the Pharisees or because of the power of the Roman government. And the must didn't even lie in the fact that Jesus had no choice in the matter, that he was so constrained that he did not lay down his life willingly, that he did not offer it freely as a gift and as an atonement for sin before God. The constraint that Jesus was under was that in order to fulfill his purpose, in order to fulfill the reason for which he came into this world, he had to die and he had to rise again. He had to die and he had to rise again. This morning, in order to emphasize how important that Jesus' resurrection is, we're going to look at six ramifications. Six ramifications if Jesus had not been raised from the dead. It's an extremely bleak picture that is painted if Christ had not been raised from the dead. So six ramifications for Christians if Jesus had not been raised from the dead. The first, if Christ has not been raised, then preaching is meaningless and futile. Starting at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Preaching is founded upon the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 3, it says, This I delivered unto you. This was the message. This was the message. And in verse 4, it says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. That's the proclamation. That is what the Apostle Paul preached. Preaching is rooted in the Scriptures. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the scriptures. It is the scriptures themselves that speak of the resurrection of the dead. Notice verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with 
the scriptures. It was the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, that teach us of Jesus' death and resurrection. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, then the scriptures are unreliable. They are untrue. And if the scriptures are unreliable and untrue, then their authority is nil. Then they do not have value to us. There is no reason to read them, proclaim them, or believe them if what they say is not true. And so preaching is in vain if Christ did not rise from the dead, for that which we proclaim is false. Secondly, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is baseless, illusionary, meaningless. Notice it says in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and then secondly, your faith is in vain. The power of faith is to be found not in faith itself, but in the object of that faith. What makes faith meaningful is that which one places their faith in. If we have faith that our car will start, it's because our car is reliable. If the battery is dead, it will not start whether we believe that it will or we don't believe that it will. It simply won't start. The power of faith is not in faith itself. If the car battery is dead, the car won't start. You can have all the faith in the world that your car is going to be able to start, but if it's dead, it's dead. I heard a preacher once say that it does not matter if Christ came forth from the grave or not, it simply matters what you believe. That stands in direct opposition and contradiction to the clear teaching of Scripture. It's not just what you believe, it's do, is what you believe the truth. Did it really happen or not? If it did not happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, your faith is vain. It's as vain as believing your car is going to start if the battery is dead. Our society views faith as valuable in and of itself. You will hear it doesn't matter whether you believe, as long as you believe something. Faith is viewed as individualistic and, prob and pragmatic. So people will say such things as, does your faith work for you? Does your faith bring you comfort? Does it get you through the rough times? Faith in that instance is nothing more than a sugar pill, a placebo, a crutch to get you through a difficult time, or perhaps a narcotic that does not bring healing, but at least numbs the pain of suffering. But the problem with a sugar pill, the problem with a placebo, the problem is that though it may bring comfort because the person thinks that the pill is doing something for them, in reality, they will die of their disease. 
In reality, it has no medical benefit. For the brief time that they are deluded, it brings comfort. But in the end, it's proven to be meaningless. Or it is not helpful. It is not useful. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, it's meaningless. Oh, sure, there could be a measure of comfort if you believe that, and it didn't really happen. But in the end, you see, you are lost. In the end, then, the whole power of salvation is not true. And so, our faith is meaningless. Third, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then Paul and the rest of the apostles were liars. Christ had not been raised from the dead, then Paul and the rest of the apostles were liars. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Why? Because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Paul says, we have misrepresented God. It's a polite way of saying we lied. We told you something that wasn't true. We ascribed an act to God the Father that he did not commit because we testified that God raised Christ from the dead. After giving a list of those who had seen the resurrected Lord, Paul claimed to have seen the resurrected Lord himself. Look at verses 5 and following. Starting at verse 5. And that he, that is the resurrected Lord, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, meaning you can ask them, you can interrogate them if you want, most of whom are still alive, though some of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, because he had not walked with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. The last of all, to one untimely born, referring to himself, he says, he appeared also to me. So Paul clearly claims to have seen the resurrected Jesus. If Paul did not see the resurrected Jesus, then Paul was lying. But it's Paul, having seen the resurrected Jesus, that explains the change that took place in Paul's life. In Galatians, it says, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The people were hearing about Paul and they were marveling because the one who formerly were, was persecuting them and seeking to put them to death for their faith in Jesus is now proclaiming that very faith for which he was trying to put other people to death. What explains that? Why did that change take place in his heart? And not just his heart, but all the apostles who fled before the cross and then after the cross, gather together in faith and start proclaiming that Jesus indeed is the Messiah 
the risen Lord. What explains that? Well, Paul tells us what explains it in his life. Paul is on trial, and he stands before King Agrippa, and he is giving account as to why the Jewish leaders had him arrested and what the charges were against him. Namely, it was that he was preaching that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And as he stands before King Agrippa, he says this, starting at Acts 26, verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was once convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. So Paul says, what brought about this change in my life? Why do I now preach what I used to persecute? He said, because I had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And Jesus told me that I am to go forth and I am to preach. I have appointed you as a servant to be a witness to my resurrection. Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Fourth, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our sins are not forgiven. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And this last statement is extremely important. And you are still in your sins. Again, we put so much emphasis upon the necessity of Christ's death, and rightly so, that we fail to realize that the death, apart from the resurrection, would have been ineffectual. The death without the resurrection would not have brought salvation. You would still be in your sins. You can't separate the death of Christ from the resurrection of Christ. It's meaningless to believe in his death without believing in his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the result of his conquering sin and death. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then sin and death had not been conquered. 
his death on the cross, the full payment of sin, would have not been sufficient. It would not have been the full payment. It was his righteousness that merited his salvation, his resurrection. Anthony Thistleton states, and I quote, the statement, you are still in your sins, confirms that about the resurrection of Christ, Christ's death alone has no atoning, redemptive, or liberating effect in relation to human sin. Listen to Romans, Romans 1.4. says, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It was demonstrated, it was proved, it was manifest that he was the Lord because he came forth from the tomb. Romans 4.25, it says, He was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. He bore our sins on the cross. We were declared righteous, we were declared holy because he rose from the dead. His payment was satisfactory. God looked at it with full approval because he no longer bore the consequences of sin. He was raised and seated at the right hand of God the Father, enjoying blessings because his death was effectual through the resurrection. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's his life. It's his intercession. It's his seating at the right hand of the Father that ultimately brings to pass our salvation. And so Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But without the resurrection, you are still in your sins. Without the resurrection, it's just a sad state of affairs that Jesus died on that cross. Yes, dying on that cross for our sins. But it's sad that he could not have overcome those sins. It is sad that he could not conquer those sins. It's sad that he was eternally separated from God, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He rose from the dead. Fifth, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then those who have died believing in Jesus are lost. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus have perished. Those that are fallen asleep refers to those who are individuals that prior to having died placed faith in their Lord Jesus Christ. People prior to their having died placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then those who had hoped in Jesus before they had died have perished. They are destroyed. They are without hope, and we will never see them again. They are destroyed. Listen to what the Bible says concerning those who have fallen asleep. That is, those who died having believed in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those that died having believed in Jesus, that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, not simply that we believe that Jesus died, but since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would he sent from heaven with a crowd, cry of a, a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. The comfort is that the risen Lord is coming back to take with him all those who have placed their faith and trust in him. If he has not raised, he's not coming back. If he's not coming back, there is no hope for all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're simply dead. Number six, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we should feel sorry for those who have dedicated their lives to his work. Let me say it again. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, we should feel sorry for those who have dedicated their lives to his work. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, my life counts for nothing. It's been a waste. You ought to feel sorry for me and for all who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul had nothing to be gained by preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead, are not if the dead had not raised? The dead were not, are not raised. What do I gain, humanly speaking? I fought with the beasts at Ephesus. This just is one account of the sufferings that, that Paul experienced as a result of his preaching 
the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had to fight vicious animals, as was the case so often in the Roman Empire, where people had to go into arenas and fight lions and other vicious animals as the crowd would wait for them to be torn apart. Paul says, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. In the book of 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, we have the accounts of Paul's sufferings. Listen, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less once. That is, on five different occasions, he was beaten with a flagellant that is worse than a horse whip. 39 times. Five times 39 times. His back was laid bare. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. You get the idea he was in danger. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Why? Why? Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, what a waste. What a pity. See, there was no value. It was meaningless. It was deceptive. It was an untruth. Paul not only had nothing to gain by preaching the resurrection of Christ, he had a lot to lose. He had a lot to lose. Notice his conclusion in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, notice his conclusion. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This, then, is all there is in life. So you might as well just go for all the gusto you can. You might as well just make the most of Every day, eat and drink. There's nothing of greater value. There's nothing of better way to spend your time. And I'll tell you, there's not a lot, a lot of people today that, that do just that because they don't believe that there's anything yet to come. Life's meaningless. What's the point? You might as well enjoy it while we're here. Because then we die and then there's nothing. Paul says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, that's true. But Christ did rise from the dead. Christ did rise from the dead. And so, what seems like a real downer of a morning needs to put in perspective that while all those things, those six ramifications would have happened if Jesus hadn't been raised bodily from the dead, he was raised. Look at verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We can assert with full and complete confidence that Jesus has risen from the dead. 
Notice the contrary statement, but, but, and not only but, but he says, but in fact, in the original, it says, but now. But now is in the most emphatic way that it can be said in the Greek language. It would be like in English if we put, but now, with three exclamation points after now. But now! But now, here is the reality, Paul says. The contrary is true. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus has come forth bodily from the tomb. Verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And because Christ has been raised from the dead, we also shall rise from the dead. But as Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning that he is the first that rises from the dead, and as a result of his resurrection, all those who believe in him will rise from the dead also. They have not perished. The point that had been repeatedly made was that if Christ had not raised from the dead, then everything about the Christian faith is in vain. Preaching is vain. Faith is vain. Life lived for Christ is vain. But the glorious conclusion is that Christ has risen from the dead. Therefore, preaching is not in vain. Faith is not in vain. And life lived in service for the risen Lord is not in vain. So look with me at the concluding verse of this chapter. Verse 58. Therefore, the therefore is a conclusion based upon the truth that Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, in the resurrected Jesus Christ, your labor is not in vain. It's not futile. It's not meaningless. It's not worthless. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. Many of you know that many years ago, before I even went to Bible college, I had adopted 1 Corinthians 58 as my life verse. It was going to characterize the way that I have sought to live from my late teenage years. To be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That verse is extremely precious to me. For preaching is not in vain. Faith is not in vain. A life lived in service for Christ is not in vain. To me, it's the foundation of all of life. This year, I had the privilege of speaking at commencement at Missio Theological Seminary. And I spoke to the graduating class, people who had prepared their lives 
for service for Lord Jesus Christ. And so the commencement address was 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I want them to know that their study had not been in vain. All the money, all the time that was spent was not worthless. And furthermore, whatever they would face in the future, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty, whatever challenge that would come unto them, it didn't matter, it would be worth it, it would not be in vain. Because we serve a risen Lord. Our faith is the genuine deal. This year I had the privilege to speak at Lancaster Bible College and address the student body. Guess what verse I chose? Not because I don't know other verses. And not just so I could use the same sermon, because I recrafted it. But because it's the foundation. I want those students who are preparing their lives for service to know because of the resurrected Lord, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. People, your giving, your worship, your time spent this morning, any difficulties, any hardships you may encounter as a result of identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Everything we believe is true. The word of God is reliable. Our salvation has been accomplished. Jesus has been raised from the dead. We have a living Savior. That is our hope and our glory and our joy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the resurrected Jesus. The one who, yes, died on the cross for our sins. And the one who rose again for our justification. We're declared righteous because he stands at the right hand of God the Father, having purified the heavenly places with his own blood, having entered into the most holy place, by his shed blood. And you, our Father, accepting that sacrifice. The one who lives to ever make intercession for us, who pleads for us before the throne of grace. The one who is coming again to receive us unto himself. Lord, all glory, honor, and praise belong to you. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our doubts and our uncertainties. Help us to reflect. Help us to keep in mind all of the witnesses, the changed lives of the apostles. There is so much testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but Lord, we realize it's more than just a rational argument. Lord, give us faith. Give us confidence. Renew our commitment. May we acknowledge that you are worthy of our worship for Jesus has risen from the dead. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.